Hey everyone, it's the season finale. Want to give a shout out to all of our guests from this season of Beyond the Plate, as well as Beyond the Drink, which is our new beverage-focused series. And to all of our amazing partners for their support, Keurig, Martin's Potato Rolls, Wickles Pickles, Imperfect Foods, and Deep Eddie Vodka, we thank you. With that, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. This is a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. Today's guest is Chef Carla Hall. This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at Imperfect Foods. If you know me and follow me on social media, you probably know that I love Imperfect Foods. Thanks to them, they're offering you, Beyond the Plate listeners, 30% off your first box. Just enter the code Beyond the Plate at sign up. Here's one of the main reasons I love Imperfect Foods. We all hear about this issue of food waste in our country, right? It is a huge issue. 40% of all the food produced in the U.S. goes uneaten. Hold that thought, everybody. Imperfect Foods is an online grocer on a mission to eliminate food waste and build a better food system for everyone. They source imperfect groceries, including ugly produce and surplus food, directly from farmers, growers, and food purveyors and deliver these goods straight to your door through a customizable subscription service that winds up being cheaper than many grocery stores. Since launching in 2015, Imperfect Foods has recovered 139 million pounds of food and donated over 5.7 million pounds of food to food banks and nonprofits fighting hunger. To learn more about Imperfect Foods, please visit imperfectfoods.com and follow them on social media at Imperfect Foods. Again, for our Beyond the Plate listeners, for 30% off your first box order, enter code Beyond the Plate at sign up. Imperfect Foods, we thank you. All right, everybody. Today's guest is a chef. She's a TV personality, a cookbook author, a podcast host, and a former model. Carla Hall is always fun to watch or to listen to, to talk with. Her energy is quite infectious. She's also extremely kind and giving and happens to be a crazy hard worker. Not going to talk too much about what we talk about because you're here and you're about to hear it. But I promise you'll learn something new. Furthermore, you probably know Carla Hall from Bravo's Top Chef and Top Chef All-Stars. She also co-hosted ABC's Emmy Award-winning series, The Chew. She's currently a judge on Netflix's Crazy Delicious show and on Bakeaway Camp on Food Network. She has three cookbooks. She's worked in several professional restaurant kitchens in and around the Washington, D.C. area, And she's an active supporter of Helen Keller International, which is an organization that works to improve the lives of those with blindness. We also talk about some other organizations she supports as well in this episode. But before we get going, we do have some awesome merch for you all, which you can find a link in your podcast player or at beyondtheplatemerch.com. We have some tees and hoodies and some different styles of hats and beanies. So check those out. And please enjoy this episode as we go Beyond the Plate with Chef Carla Hall. All right, Carla, let's start with a quick audio test. Can you name 10 crazy delicious cookies for me? Oh, my God. Okay, why, why am I blanket? Okay, here we go. Pecan Sandies, Linzer Torts, Chocolate Cream, Vanilla Shortbread, and I'm naming all my favorites. All right, you're good. So let's jump in. I can't promise that my two-year-old 
twins are going to run through here at some point screaming. That would be awesome. <laughs> what are their names? Ella and Leo. They're two and a half and they're fantastic. And Ella actually recently got glasses herself but she wasn't she won't she ella i'm not just saying this she's a little more advanced for her age even more so than leo leo's great and 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 awesome but leo will catch up when he's 30 okay go ahead yeah exactly (laughs) so ella got glasses because she's farsighted and we saw her like trying to correct her vision which kids usually don't do at two so she has glasses and the the um, eye doctor is like, oh, you just have to say mommy and daddy will put them on and, and mommy and daddy will take them off. And she's like not having that. She's like, I'll do it, you know, and like she does it herself, but she won't wear them all the time. So we're, it's like baby steps. She'll wear them now during meals. Like okay. whenever she eats, she wears them. She wants to Ran- see her food. Yeah. Randomly when she goes out, she wears them. But it's, you know, the doctor's like, oh, in a few days, she'll wear them all the time. What color are her glasses? She's pink glasses with little hearts on the side. I always wanted to do little charms for glasses. I wanted to do charms that would just be right on the rims. They don't affect your vision. You don't have to get any expensive glasses. And then kids and adults, that's just in my head. It's just been in there for about six years. So we'll see what happens. One of, one of those. One of those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good idea. All right. You had Rachel Ray on your podcast, Say Yes with Carla Hall. Yes. And I had mentioned to you that you handled her speed round really well because no one's really accomplished a speed round with Rachel Ray. <laughs> so I want to jump right in with a speed round with you of, of yeses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to know, last thing you said yes to that worked out really well. Wow. I, I mean, I say yes to a lot of things. I, I want to say yeah. I said yes to lifting weights like bodybuilding because it wasn't something that that I would I would do and the only way that I decided to do it was because I said I need goals I'm not going to just work out for the sake of working out and the woman said I'll give you a goal what about um, doing a bodybuilding competition and because I'm competitive I said okay that that got me going for the last six months I don't know if I will do a bodybuilding competition, but if it's in my head, then it makes me want to do the working out or the, yeah. the lifting. Someone in your life that thinks you say yes too much. My husband, Matthew Lyons. Last time you said no. Oh, I actually said no to somebody who had asked me to do a cameo. And I said no to it because they were a company and I thought they got me, they were, they were like cheating. So they were got trying to get it. me for a cameo price, what would have been a like an appearance. For sure, like, sure. Dude, yeah, yeah. no. And wrote him a note. I didn't just decline. I wrote a note back. Good for you. All right. So when it comes to making decisions, life decisions, decisions in the kitchen, do you often go with your instinct, like with your gut, or do you do you take a more analytical, methodical approach? The gut. 100%. Yeah? It starts off with gut, and then it becomes analytical. What three words would you use to describe yourself? Tenacious, kind, and... Tall. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right, let's go back. Take us back to Nashville days. Which I, I'm, I'm in Nashville right now, Are my you? mom's house. So yes, yes. We live in D.C., but our house is being renovated. So I'm with my mom. So that's nice. interesting. And mom celebrated a birthday semi-recently. Is that right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In November, um, at the end of November, 80, 80 years. 80 yes. years. Happy Look birthday, at you doing mom. your homework. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So born in Nashville. Mm-hmm. 
Take us around that uh, Hall family uh, dinner table. We went to my grandmother's house for Sunday suppers after church, and we lived in Nashville. She lived in Lebanon, Tennessee, so it's a 30-mile drive. So j- just the 30, the 30 miles, so 45 minutes of anticipating food when you're starving and wishing you had a car phone. And, and I remember seeing that before we even get to the table, I remember seeing these cars with the wires, you know, those antennas sticking out of the car. I'm like, why don't we have a phone? I bet they have a phone. Why do they have those wires sticking out? They don't have a phone. We should be able to call granny and tell her we're on our way so she can start making the cornbread. But she would never make the cornbread until we were on the inside of the door. And she would have cornbread. And I remember at least two meats. It would be smothered pork chops or something like that. And then there might be a ham because my grandfather was a doctor. So people would barter. And sometimes we would get a country ham that someone did macaroni and cheese, green beans or greens. And then there was always some pickles, like pickled onions and cucumbers in the refrigerator. And then she would always have tomatoes, sliced homegrown tomatoes. And this obviously was in the summertime. And I remember she peeled them. She was the only person I knew who peeled their tomatoes, I mean, their tomatoes. And I didn't even think about that until I went to culinary school and they were always peeling the tomatoes for concasse. Did she do it like that? Like boil them? and like, Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Made the slit at the bottom, boiled them, took them out and just peeled them. Yeah, she did. I love that. Mm-hmm. How cool. So, so grandma, does mom cook too? No. No. You know, it, it skips a generation. My mother doesn't cook. I don't, my mother doesn't even really like food. She eats for sustenance, and I don't really understand it. So every time I make something, like the other day I made a huge pot of soup, huge, I make a regular 10-quart, like in a 10-quart pot, which meant it was like eight quarts. And she, no, it was an eight-quart pot. I guess I did about six quarts. Anyway, and she's like, oh, my God, that's too much. I'm gonna, we're going to be eating that for just days and days. And, and then after we all have a serving and the next day we're having leftovers, she's like, wow, it's not as much soup as I thought. I'm like, it never is as much as, as, as you think. And when mama is in charge of ordering the food for any event for the family, we never have enough. And we always have to go out to get more food. And, and I said, mama, this is why. So she, when she sees food, it's just like, oh, my God, it's just so much. I just can't eat it all. You know? <laughs> Did you, do you have siblings? I do. I have a sister and then I have a half brother. Mm -hmm. Do they care about food, like food, cook? Did they? Um, No one likes it as much as I do. My sister probably leans more toward my mother. I mean, she, she eats, but again, she doesn't like to cook. So she'll just, whatever she'll make do. My brother, he's kind of the same way. Wow. (laughs) Who are these people? So did you cook with grandma? When you were no, young? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't cook. Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't cook until I was like way like after college where I had to. No, I, I didn't cook. I just like to eat. I mean, I would eat a bag of oranges. I would eat just a lot of food, I, but I wasn't making it, which, which as a chef, a lot of people are surprised, but I'm like, I didn't have to. Other people were cooking. Sure. So when, when was the first time you cooked, like after, like after college or in after college? After college, I was living in Tampa, Florida, and I remember making breakfast. I was pretty good at breakfast. I would just get, you know, those Polish kielbasas, and I'll do a scrambled egg and some cinnamon raisin toast and yeah. orange juice, and I thought I was like, you know, burning up the place, like, <laughs> but I remember the first time that I made a tomato soup for some friends. I had invited them over to dinner. And I said, uh, you guys come on over. I'm cooking now. It's amazing. 
And I had made that tomato soup with three cans of tomato paste. It was not <laughs> intense. Was is an understatement. It was so intense. Oh my they're god! Like, they're that's like, tomato, all right. That's tomato. <laughs> they're like, we're going out to eat, and it was so bad. It was so bad. That's it was, so it was hilarious. So okay, so food interest didn't come until later in life. You went to college. Did you study to? You became an accountant. Right, I was an accountant. Mm-hmm. That was my major. And you hated it. Oh yeah, I hated it. I love studying it. I, I I actually love numbers. I have a puzzles brain. I I love I, I love numbers because they work out. And accounting, I loved studying it. I just didn't think what that day would be like working in accounting and you know at a desk. And you know I was an auditor, so I was I was still talking to people. But yeah, it was I didn't like that at all. I have to imagine it's helped along the way, like in your culinary journey. Have you put like the use of numbers or it to business? I, I feel like that's yeah. It it does help. It's funny when people say I want I want to cook because I don't like math. I'm like, do not cook. It's all numbers. I mean, yeah. recipes are numbers. You know, dividing, multiplying, uh, cost of goods. So that helped. It also helped in business. I knew enough to know what I didn't know. And I knew enough to have a great conversation with my accountant. I can't have a great conversation with my accountant. I did not, you know, you take basic accounting in like culinary school, hospitality school, and I did not enjoy it at all. But the super basics that I like took in, I'm glad I did. But I still, I mean, I still have to preface every email or phone call with my accountant with this is a foreign language to me. (laughs) I, I love a good spreadsheet. I love a spreadsheet. Do you use them? Like I do. Really? I do. I, I put my recipes sometimes into spreadsheets just because if you want to, I mean, it's, it's tedious because the numbers have to be separate from the ingredients. And however, if it's in grams, it really works because you can scale up or down very easily. I mean, if it's baking, you have to do a formula, but yeah, it's a great format to use. I feel like, you know, in the world that I work in, in my day job, like with Rachel, it's a, you know, a Word document or something like that. But when we do our work with school food or like institutional, that's uh-huh. they're all they're using spreadsheets, which is tremendously helpful when you're doing big batch cooking. Yeah. Well, first of all, you don't want to have to redo the work. Once you do the work, it's done. It's in the system and it's easier to change. Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Okay. So you said peace out accounting. Went on to be a model, modeled in Paris, Milan, London. Yep. What is harder, walking a runway or walking up to a judge's table on Top Chef? (laughs) Hands down, walking up to a judge's table on Top Chef. (laughs) Hands down. Really? Yes. I don't care the highest heels you have on, hands down, and the shoes don't fit. Still walking up to a judge's table on Top Chef because you honestly feel like you're going to lose your lunch. I mean, other uh, when you're when you're modeling, you're a hanger. When you are cooking and you're the chef making a, uh, a dish, you are the chef who made that dish, and they're going to judge you based on what they think you should know, right? You know what has more feelings, a hanger or a chef? Yeah, that's so funny. I'm quoting you. Nobody's life path is a straight line. Can you just take us down your like culinary life path of highlight, like career highlights, if you will, just some like moments along the way? So in 1991, I started uh, a lunch delivery service as a fluke. 
I did that until 95. I went to culinary school, but I was also sort of catering on the side. Then I got out. I worked in restaurants. I worked at the Henley Park Hotel and then the State Plaza Hotel. And then I went to, I was the executive chef at a private social club, the Washington Club in D.C. I left there and then went back to catering. And then after I did that, I started my catering company. Oh, and then I did Top Chef. So by now I'm 42. Did someone like talk you into, I feel like every contestant is talked into trying now. Yes. I mean, because who does that just because? Yeah, I actually, I was 44 and a friend said, oh, I'm watching this show, Top Chef. And I had just started watching the reruns that December because after a busy season of catering, you just want to just veg out. And my husband had been watching Top Chef. So I was like, I was on the couch and I watched every season from one through three. And then she said, oh, you should do Top Chef. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. And I wasn't going to do it because I'm a huge procrastinator. It's terrible. It's terrible. You have to give me a deadline. You, you ha- I will meet a deadline, but I will wait to the last minute. And then I went into work one day and my sous chef said, oh, I had a dream you were on Top Chef. And I was like, oh, that's so funny because, because I was talking to this other person about it. And so I got a call that day and I thought it was a crank call. So I said, I'm not calling them back. You're not going to get me. <laughs> and it was real. The call was real. Then I, I had a couple messages on the home phone and my cell phone, and then I called them back. How funny. Crazy. Okay, sorry. I fully interrupted you. No, no, that, that, so Top Chef. And then after Top Chef, I did, I went back to my catering company. And then after that, they asked me to come back to do Top Chef All Stars. I said no three times. I got several calls. Well, I got those three calls from the producers, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do it. And my, my PR agency was like, oh, I don't think you should do it. And then finally, I decided to do it because I wanted to transition out of catering to something else. And I wasn't sure what it was. And I said, okay, if I, if I go back on Top Chef, I have to, I have, to have a thing, like the thing that I <laughs> will, will be going to. And, the, and, I did, and that was at the point when I decided to do the cookies, the petite cookies. And that was that transition. The, the name was terrible, so nobody knew that it was Alchemy by Carla Hall, and no one knew if it was a catering company or a cookie company, so that wasn't well thought out. But I did transition out of catering. After that, I then landed the chew. And so that was food in a different way, which is a really hard transition to, to go from a, a cooking show where you're competing to hosting a cooking show. It's a completely different muscle. Wow. Okay. So lunch delivery, lunch bunch, you delivered to a friend's office. What would you, what did, do you remember what you delivered? I delivered. So when I, when I came up on the spot to do this thing, I did quiche. I did biscuits with smoked turkey. I did a chess pie and I think I made lemon blueberry bread. Yum. Everyone kind of freaked out mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. of that. And that was in a picnic basket and I had no prices. I was just going to, to give her some food. And they were like, hey, you have a business? I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now I do. <laughs> yes, now I do. Uh, and then I said, when are you coming back? And I said, I skipped a beat. And I said, tomorrow. And I went home and went to the grocery store, made a bunch of stuff. And then I went back the next day. And, 
And that's kind of how it started. And within a week, I had seven new places. Within two weeks, I had 14. And, and I did that for five years. Wow. That's wild. Did you wind up getting a, like, a, like a kitchen? Uh, no, it was, it, was, it, was, it was from home. It was from home. And I hired people. I, had, I hired seniors who needed a job. And I hired homeless jobs for the homeless. Jeez, uh, how amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I had all of these people helping me. And it was, it was tough. It was tough because a couple of times I was working with this one girl who was homeless and, you know, she just decided, Hey, I'm just going to take the money and leave the basket. So that happened a couple of times. I had to deal with uh, mental issues. I remember I had a, I was working with a guy who had OCD and I asked him to get a paper towel and I could look over and say, oh, there were no paper towels. I didn't know at the time. There were no paper towels, but he actually walks over to the paper towel holder, puts up his hand to grab a paper towel, which was empty, and says, and puts it down, walks back to his station, looks over at me, and says, there are no paper towels. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Then I, I actually asked one of the homeless ladies, I said, well, if you're homeless, you can stay with me, because I, I was living in this house by myself, so I invited <laughs> her to live with me. And she was living downstairs in the basement, which was all finished and everything. And she didn't have the consciousness to stay inside. She actually went upstairs and slept on the porch outside. I mean, when you think of, uh, and she had been homeless for a while. So for her to all of a sudden be in a house, you think you're helping somebody, you have to switch your consciousness. It's just like switching your consciousness to, to having a car. If you don't have a car, first you have to be in a car, take a taxi, then you have to rent a car, then you have to lease a car, like all of the steps that it takes your mind to actually own that car. But we, we don't think about that. And I didn't think about that at the time. And I was like, wow, okay, okay. I, you know, every, baby steps. Wow, that's wild. Speaking of consciousness, as you got deeper and deeper into your culinary career, you worked, your, you were sous chef and executive chef. Um, at any point were you like, what the fuck am I doing and want to throw in the towel? Let me count the ways. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I remember, I remember one time I was working at the Washington club and I was the chef and the director of the club. And it, there was so much going on. I was so overwhelmed. And I remember somebody, one of the members running into the kitchen saying, Carla, the sound system needs to be fixed. And I am making food for the event. And I, I, I just wanted to go into a corner and start rocking, you know, my knees up to my chest, my hands over my knees and just start rocking. I was so overwhelmed. And there was another time when... I was working at the State Plaza Hotel and I felt like such a sense of imposter syndrome and I was overwhelmed with all the tickets coming in and I was like, I don't know how to expedite this. I can't expedite this. Why am I here? Why, why did I say yes to this? I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a year in. It, it was this, I've had so many moments like that. So many where your heart is, where you, you're so stressed and your heart is beating so fast. You're like, just take me out of this, this space. Take me out of this space. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, shows come and go. Projects come and go. 
restaurant, openings, closings, comings and goings. How do you deal, like, how did you deal with those obstacles? And how do you deal with these obstacles in your career in general? You know, a lot of people, especially when my restaurant closed and when a year later the two ended. So in most people see those things as happening like at the same time. So when they come to me like, oh, so Carla, um, all right, so how are you doing? Okay, your, your restaurant just failed. Uh, the Chew just failed. I mean, like the Chew, quote unquote, failed after seven seasons, 1,500 episodes. I don't really call that a failure. But one of the things that I have, I think, is a benefit to the, to the way I think. When something happens like that, like big, like that, like, like it took longer for us to plan my restaurant than it was open. It took two years to plan and find a space and build it out one year to close, to shutter the doors. I said, this was such a great experience, even though it was really hard. And one of the things that I did was talk about it. I talked openly about my experience and what I learned. And there were so many chefs who said, thank you for sharing this. I said, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're on television, this is still a hard business. And I did that primarily to say, you are not exempt from the lesson and from this hard thing of having a restaurant. So, so they were just like, well, because nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about really how you failed. Everybody wants to save themselves from the embarrassment. I, I didn't care. I was really proud that I had that restaurant for a year because I'm not a restaurateur. Cooking and, and chefing somewhere, it's very different than being a restaurateur. So, so that was amazing. And I walked away saying, I will still use this experience somewhere else. I don't know when, I don't know how it's going to come about, but I will use it again. And that was the same thing that I thought when the chew was, was going off the air. I said, okay, I will know in a year why this left and how everything that I learned will be beneficial to me. And so when I look at things like that, because I am an eternal optimist and it gets on my friend's nerves, I'm like, no, but you know what? It's incredible. Maybe. <laughs> I love that I mean, about you. Yeah. I mean, that is, I, I really am like that. Yeah. And it's what makes humans humans. Everyone deals with it different, but it's incredible how you do. I mean, some of those things are hard in the moment, of course, but to take those lessons learned, you know, and take them to that next project, whether it's tomorrow or in a year or in 10 years. It's amazing. Hey, all, pardon the interruption. We want to give a shout out to our friends at Keurig. They have a new limited edition love blend, a collection of three craft roasted blends co-created in collaboration with five local roasters across America. If you missed the bonus episode we did a few weeks ago, I encourage you to check that out. When you order the love blend, everybody, proceeds from your purchase go back to support the five roasters that came together to create them. If you want a taste of these roasters and their businesses, again, check out that bonus episode or check out the video at keurig.com backslash love blend. These K-Cup pods are recyclable. Check locally as they are not recyclable in all communities. To learn more about limited edition Keurig Love Blend and their five roasters and to order product, please visit keurig.com backslash love blend and follow them on social media at Keurig. Keurig, we thank you. Okay, back to my conversation with Chef Carla Hall. 
we talked about the judges table on Top Chef, and I know there was an episode where Jacques Pepin was on, who who was on earlier this season, a gem, who ate your peas, tarragon peas, and he said he could die happy after eating them. Yeah. Did you first? Did you expect that reaction? I, I feel like if I'm standing up there, like I've been on set for so many of these shows, but it's one thing like producing, you know, versus like being in your shoes of like. Did I overseason these? Did I underseason these? Right. Are the peas cooked correctly? Are they not cooked correctly? Is he going to say it needs more herbs or less? There's eight, 80, 89 different variables like of any dish, I feel like. One of the things that I did when I was cooking on Top Chef, I always cooked for myself. There were a couple times that I didn't and I overthought the things. And But the times when I cooked for myself, the judges liked the food. It was interesting because as my friends are watching this show and they saw that I got Jacques Pepin and it was squab and peas, they were like, oh, oh it's on now. <laughs> it's on because she loves peas. <laughs> I love peas. And so for me, it was like cooking something that I wanted. And whenever I am stressed, I want to make something that is so comforting and, and, so th- those peas were my comfort food. That was, that was really tethering me to be grounded. And the squab, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, why didn't I strain that sauce? Like another time because it was a little, my, my sauce was gritty. Otherwise that, that dish would have been perfect. But when he said I could die happy, I just wanted to cry. I, I just, it, it was such, it was such a compliment for him to get it and to feel the love that I had put into those peas. And it was kind of like this thing of not about the compliment, but, but, oh my gosh, we have the same palate. Like we actually love this thing. But the funny story about those peas, because so many people asked me about those peas. And actually later, some judges said to me, even Marcus Samuelson said, oh my God, those peas. And a couple of other people who were there were like, oh, the peas, this guy, I'm on, you know, I, I used to go back and forth to New York and DC and I'm on the train and, and, I'm in DC and I'm getting off the train and it's all of these people on the platform. And he, I'm way to the right. He's way to the left. And he says, Hey, Carla, oh my God, how do you make those peas? He's yelling over all of these people. I'm like, first thing, you don't overcook them. And then, you know, he's like, yeah, and then what else? And I'm like literally yelling over these people. And then it's butter and tarragon. And he's like, thank you. But it was so funny. It's like the peas. The peas were as much a character in that show as like when I did the chicken pot pie. And both of them are, are, are dishes that I love. Yeah, that's so funny. The peas. I don't know why I didn't ask you this earlier, but now I'm so curious because my wife is super into soups these days. Uh. What was the soup you made the other day at home? So I made a vegetable soup and with whatever my mother had in her pantry, And I said, well, we have to get celery. She didn't have any celery. I'm like, we can't make the soup without celery. But I had also made these chicken tortilla balls for a Super Bowl event, right? And I had some mix left over. So I made these tiny, tiny, tiny meatballs and dropped those into the soup 
with kale and, I mean, not kale, I dropped in collards and, you know, mixed vegetables. It was delicious. I, I have to tell you, it was, it was really delicious. And my mother said, we're going to make this soup. I have some rotel. And for those of you listening who don't know what rotel is, I mean, honestly, back in the day, you take rotel and some Velveeta and you had a nice little nacho uh, sauce. Yes. Right. So <laughs> I, I had that. And then I had some, she had, I, she had some boxed vegetable stock and it was like regular off the shelf vegetable stock. And, and I, and I'm not used to using that. So I dumped that in, I dumped the Rotel in and I forgot. I was like, Oh, let me put some spice in here, put some (laughs) spices in there. It was so spicy and I had to keep adding water and it was salty because I I'm not used to using this, this brand of box stock. So by the time I finished, I mean, it was so much soup. And, and then I kept putting in the collards so that they could absorb some of that water. And then it was still spicy. So then I added a sweet potato. So I just kept adding to this soup. Now it is delicious. Sounds good. You're inspiring me. I have some ground chicken in my refrigerator and I have, I got my like imperfect foods box. So I have all these veg that I want to like throw in and make as Jacques calls it fridge soup. Yes. So let me tell you, you know what you should do with the chicken? If you have the ground chicken, take like onions and carrots and celery, grind those up, add it, and whatever spices, whatever aromatics you want to add, like you're making meatloaf, put that into the ground chicken and then make your balls. And then they'll have all the, the moisture and everything. You don't even need an egg. And then drop those into the soup in addition to whatever mirepoix, you know, vegetables you have in the soup because they will be really delicious on their own and they'll also add to that flavor. I mean, as if I had to tell you how to make your soup. No, 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 but I'm going to do that. Just, I feel like, you know, I talked with Anne, you know, recently and she was telling me what she made the night before. It was this like stewy cauliflower squash toasted spice thing. And I was like, I have all that right now in my kitchen. And I went and made it like that night or the night after. So I'll be making this, this soup too, very soon. Oh, yay. Okay, so speaking of Anne, I don't know where you're going to go after this, but dude, okay, Worst Cooks. Yeah. With we're, Anne we're gonna We're going to go there. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. You, you, you go where you want to go. Okay, go okay so Top Chef, Judge's Table, Jacques, yes. Um, now you're a judge on Crazy Delicious on that mm-hmm. Um Do you prefer being a judge or you're, you mentioned you were competitive earlier on in this. Do you prefer being a judge or a competitor? I, I am competitive. I don't want to compete. I, I I am so over competing. Although if you threw me in there, there, there's this thing that just kicks in that I'm like, yes, it's a race. But I, I don't, I don't want to compete. I think that I make a good judge because I did compete. And I come from a place of always wanting to give constructive criticism. If they never see me again, I hope that they walk away from the experience better than they came in. I really try to... I, I'm very careful with the things that I say. I got a little crazy though, you know, I think when I was on holiday baking, because that some of that stuff was crazy. I mean, it was ugly, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so my producer, one of my producers on this, he, this cracks me up because he doesn't bake at all. And he's like the last person I would think that watches baking shows, but he'll be like, I just binge watched the whole season of this. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, you're the last person. So he says he's a huge fan of yours, and he says he loves it when you say, dude. Dude. It's, oh. He says it's like the Paul Hollywood handshake. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, he said, where does that come from? I'm like, what do you mean where it comes from? She loves it, you know, and anyway. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. And tell him I said, thank you. I had a roommate like back in the Howard days and she would say, dude. And I, I thought it was so funny. You know, this black girl at Howard University, the Mecca, you know, saying dude. And, and we used to tease her about saying dude. But then sometimes when it just comes out. And I remember the first time that I was doing Halloween baking and somebody made something so delicious. And the only thing that could come to my head was dude. <laughs> this was so good. <laughs> Uh, and, and that is completely different than dude. Like, what the hell? Dude. I mean, right, right. So this one guy said, I got a dude. I said, no, 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 no. You got one you. You didn't get four. <laughs> you got one you. Like, dude. Yeah, right? two very different things here, buddy. Very different things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, worst cooks. It's like 21st season or 22nd season, 21st which is insane. And you're yeah. new to the squad. Which, uh, congratulations, you're a mentor. What, is a mentor, it? coach? Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, you're facing I, off against Anne, team, the, the, the Rock and Red Stars. Yes, and the Blue um, Diamonds. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, okay. So she was on the pod uh, last week, and she said she loved working with you. What did you learn from doing that show? I loved working with Anne, but I tell you, I tell you, if she, if she was really honest with what we had to do and how much work it is, I'm not sure I would have said yes. I actually felt like I was competing again. I, I felt the nervousness and jitters and, and not necessarily cooking, but now my teaching skills are on display and these little sponges that you're looking at every single episode are just soaking in everything. And when you feel like you may have told them the wrong thing, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I told you the wrong thing because they don't know. I mean, I, I learned, I mean, I already knew patience, but sometimes you don't know where the first floor is in terms of what level. I mean, I mean, remedial does not begin to describe where you have to start. I mean, can openers, manual can openers, not just one person, but two people like, I don't know how to work a manual can opener. Joey, poor sweetheart, such a nice, nice, nice young man. He just didn't have the dexterity in his hands to even work a peeler. It's, you just can't get ready for it. And I would look at Anne, I'm like, am I being punked? I mean, to go ahead and tell me. If I'm being punked, let me know. You would show up to work, you're like, please tell me I'm being punked. This cannot be real. And it was real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and by the way, speaking of competitive, Miss Burrell is uh, quite the competitive. <laughs> Dude, okay. <laughs> but you said we were messaging before, and you said Anne is the real deal. Explain. She is the real deal. Anne takes the teaching so seriously, and what knowledge she can impart to these people, and they will not go home the same, even if they're only on the show for one episode, which is two days, they're, they're going to get so much. And so all of the games that you see, she has a hand in them to make sure that at the end of the day, they're learning and the audience is learning. And it is, it is really well thought out. She is just the real deal. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy show because it's awesome how Anne and you and whomever, you, there's great producers on there too. Uh -huh. You know, it's entertaining, but it's also educational. I mean, listen, the fact that you taught someone how to use a can opener 
someone didn't know how to use a can opener. I mean, <laughs> you know, now they do. So it's it's amazing how much Anne and others hang on to making sure there's a lesson learned, you know, with the uh, skilled drills and, you know, all that, you know, the main parts of the competition. Yeah, even getting to know their own palates. You know, a lot of people just cook. They don't really think about, they, they give so much power to the recipe that they don't consider do they like the profile that they're actually making from the recipe? And, you know, they may say, oh, I don't like cumin. What should I do? I mean, you can leave it out, but you have to remember, you have to give someone the permission to actually make it their own, but they don't know what that is. And so I feel like a lot of these people will leave and they will be better consumers at a, at a restaurant or, you know, just talking about food. Yeah. That's funny. I just had this funny thought of like one of these contestants not knowing anything about food and then going out to eat after the show films and being like, there's too much cumin in that dish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. I want to switch gears briefly and talk about social impact and giving back. This is actually, it's one of the main reasons why I started the podcast with the team of people. It's because Chefs, restaurateurs, food industry, people in general are extremely giving. Um, as I like to say, they're way more than the food that they put on a plate. As you know, and as you experience firsthand probably daily, pre-pandemic, you probably could have done an event every single day of every single week to benefit some organization. And what I've learned from talking with all these guests is they all give back in a different way, you know, something meaningful to them, their community, their business, whatever it may be. So it's a crazy time now. And it's even more crazy that people like yourself and other chefs are stepping up in this time that like, you know, some chefs can barely keep their restaurant open, yet they're finding a way to feed people. Why do you think chefs are all about giving back? I really think at the end of the day, it is, our honor to feed people and it makes no sense to us for people not to be fed or not to have food it's the most basic thing you know as humans in, in this rich country so when somebody talks about food insecurity we are serving people in restaurants where they're paying you know sometimes a lot of money which is you know a luxury but you can turn around and say, wait, all of these other people don't have anything and it's just basic. So I think it is trying to level the playing field. And especially when it comes to children. The other thing is when you're in culinary school, there's always that element of giving back. I mean, you're taught that. And imagine if you're taught to just give back in college, well, no matter what you are studying and that's part of your education. I think that, I think about that a lot, especially when it kind of, this is, I'm going off the rails, especially when it comes to HBCUs. But so many of us are struggling just to go to school that once you go to school, you don't think about the giving back part. You're like, I struggled to get here. What am I going to give back? You know, how am I going to give back? But I think when it comes to food, people are like, you know, I can give something. And even if it's my time. Uh, a lot of chefs don't have the extra money because running restaurants, you, you don't make a lot of money, but you do have a skill that is usable. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I know you are an active. I thought you were going to say actor. I'm like, yes, I am. No, go ahead. Active, <laughs> active, active. We'll save that for part two. You're <laughs> active with a number of charities close to your heart. So talk about the work. I'm curious, the Helen Keller International or any of the others. Why are these such a passion of yours? So I have a, I have a checklist. There, there was a time when I was giving back so much that I didn't have time to actually make money. I, I, I would say yes to all of these events and, and things and do, and my agents were like, okay, Carla, slow your roll. You, you actually need to save time to work so that you can give back. So I came up with a checklist and in my checklist, it, it's food insecurity is top of the list, children, anything having to do with black and brown kids, literacy, like reading, eyeglasses. I mean, and that, that's how I got involved with Helen Keller because they checked so many boxes. So those are, those are the big five. And, and I'm on a couple boards, you know, I'm on 4-H and, and I'm stretched thin. And so I said, if I, and most people only have one or two, and I probably should only have one or two because I can give more to those one or two than to give a tiny bit to a lot, but I'm stretched pretty thin, but I'm also very pleased with the work that these organizations do. The pajama program Yes. Can you touch upon the culinary ambassador, the Sweet Home Cafe? Is that where is that project? It sounds so. So I I don't do it anymore, but that was at the Sweet Home Cafe at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Uh, Jerome Grant is the chef, and so in the first two years of the museum, they wanted somebody to basically toot the horn and really be the megaphone of the cafe. And, and I got to do that. And I was so proud to do that. And I learned so much from that project, mainly, and if you have been to the museum or to the cafe, it, it's almost like an edible museum because you get to understand the contributions of African-Americans all over the country, not only in the South, but I thought most of our food, our foodways came from the South because I'm in the South. Um, But if you ask people in New York, they're like, oh, soul food came from New York. And you, you have the Western range and, and, and that's a, a completely different contribution. And then you have the Creole coast. So I learned so much about the contributions that African Americans made, and it and it is American history, and so it's a beautiful museum. And I think the cafe serves as not only a place to learn about the food, but also a respite from all of the things that you're seeing that you have to decompress from and to talk with your family about. And it's just a beautiful space. That's neat. You know, I get this like cool sense as you are explaining this that yes, a business should operate to make money. But I feel like whether you are making money off of a business or if you're leaving a project and learning something, you're happy. Yes, 100%. My restaurant closed in 2017 and I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about um, the food that we produced. And I feel like that is going to be coming right back to me because I'll be doing my, I'll be doing some food through Gold Belly 
and people will get to order my food. And it's some of the recipes that we use in my restaurant. So, you know, things aren't always in our time or in our purview, like how we have envisioned things. But if you stay open, you know, you'll kind of see everything come together. Nice. Okay. So you do, you mentioned the big five, you know, organizations and causes. And I, you know, I've seen you do work on behalf of Food Bank for New York City and whatnot. So I just want to give a moment to let you shed light on a specific organization or cause or fund that you want to raise awareness for. Is there a specific one that you may want to share with the listeners? I think the work that I do at Helen Keller And they do so much work in Africa and in Asia, and it feels so global. And not only is the work that they do for children and eyesight and and eye health, but also the empowerment of women. And a lot of these villages that they work with, it's the women who are the farmers and teaching them to farm. And, And I went to Vietnam a, a few years ago, and one of the things that, that they would do is slash and burn. So they would, they would literally slash all of the, all, I don't know if you've heard that expression, slash all of the, the growth, and then they would burn it up, and then they would move to another, another plot versus understanding how to reuse that land. And just the, the ground erosion and all of these different things, when they, when they cut down the trees to build their homes, they're like, wait, that, that those roots are actually keeping your, <laughs> your, your land in place and, 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 and keeping it from the land erosion. And it was just a beautiful thing in teaching people how to eat from zero to two years and teaching their, the parents how to cook for their children so that they do have eye health and, you know, you don't have these, these diseases that, that you will be prevented by eating good food. And, and so that one is really near and dear to my heart. And there's, there's so many, but I'm just going to highlight um, Helen Keller International. That's awesome. Thank you. And I'm going to piggyback on something you said um, a few minutes back, because I love to reiterate this and being it's, you know, the season finale here, give what you can everybody. If you're listening, some people think you can't do charity work or you know, support a cause because you're not rich. And it's not about that. Your voice is rich. A Mm -hmm. a dollar is rich, you know, for a charity. Your time is rich for a charity. So literally, if it's five bucks, sometimes that's a ton. If, If it's volunteering, if it's a social media post using your voice, you have an audience. So thank you for saying that. Thank you. And it's so true. Okay. Speed round and then close it out. Okay. What did you have for dinner last night? I had jasmine rice, chicken, and I had a little bit of that soup, which was the sauce on my chicken. And then I had a salad of cabbage, broccoli stems, romaine lettuce, tossed with parsley and lime zest and olive oil. Yeah. Name a smell in the kitchen you love. Mm, lemon. Lemon. <laughs> oh, my God, I love lemon. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Liver. <laughs> I, uh, I, can't, uh, I, can't, I can't take that smell. I can't take musty, um, irony smells. Yes. What pisses you off in the kitchen? I'm a little bit of an efficiency snob. You know, let's go back to that spreadsheet. <laughs> I don't like to backtrack. So inefficiencies 
you know, and they come up in different ways, like backtracking, that kind of thing. Just, oh, I I have to say glass cutting boards. What is that? What What is that? What is that? (laughs) Especially some of them are like, they're like ridged almost. It's like, how are you supposed to cut something on that? The, the sound of that makes no sense. When you go to a hotel and they're like, oh, this is sanitary. Let me have a glass cutting board. It dulls the knives. I mean, that, that, okay, that more than anything, even I can feel my arms like tensing up right now. That makes no sense. And, and there's no place in this world for it at all. Yeah. Congratulations. That's a first for sure on what pisses you off in the kitchen. And I appreciate it. <sighs> You know, when people, when people get there, um, they're like, oh, I got this marble countertop and they saved me a piece for my cutting board. No! No. No, that's for maybe cheese. I don't know. Uh, maybe a, a nice, big, fat, heavy trivet, but it is <laughs> not a cutting board. That's so funny. What makes you happy in the kitchen? Oh, my gosh. Biscuits. The smell of bread. I love the smell of bread. Okay, I said, I said lemons, but I... I a holiday cooking with people, you know, everybody's like this, this well-oiled machine and laughing like socialization. Okay. Boiling it down, distilling Carlin, not too many words, socialization in the kitchen. What actress would you want to play Carla Hall in the movie? Tracy Ellis Ross. But you know what? When she was younger, she looked more like me than she does now. So there may be somebody else. Sarah. Oh my gosh. Sarah. What's Sarah? Uh, Bridges, Bridges and Tunnels. Sarah Jones can play me. In closing, you have a mantra. Say yes, adventure follows, and then growth? Yes. What is the next adventure for Carla Hall? The next adventure, when, I, when you were asking me about active, and I was like, oh, actor. I, <laughs> I, I, I would like to do more acting. I would, that's what I thought I was going to do when I was a teenager, and I can still do that with food, so... That is going to be my next yes. So y'all call me. Yeah, call me. <laughs> By the way, and you've done some and it's great. And I love the voiceover stuff too in the animation. That's fun. Oh, that's so much fun. I love voiceovers. I would love to do more audio, audible books, oh, which fun. I love. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You're so welcome. You're this such is a so blast. great. I love talking with you. You're, you're, you're so like joyful and the energy is fantastic. And anytime I'm on one of the, your, your little cooking things we do, if it's a virtual cooking thing or anything, I just love, you know, it's, there's always like a smile going on because I like y'all good, good energy. Yeah. You know, I thank you for having me. This has been super, super fun. And, and I, what I love, I love the name because a lot of times People want to keep chefs on the plate and not go beyond the plate. And we're more than just the food that we make. So I appreciate you and this podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Carla. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. Thank you for fitting us in. Of course. All right. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Chef Carla Hall. Find more on her at CarlaHall.com. To learn more about Helen Keller International, go to HKI.org. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joe Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Big thank you to Sarah McClellan Me for her digital media skills. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford 
And as always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you all for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.